Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Patomaru in-game, and my co-host, Ruben, or Barefoot Farmer, and our intrepid friend, Ben, or Bee Grasher, lurking in the background. It's episode 16, and the new format's out. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process, with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. So, like I said, this is the new formats out. And so, quick uh, sort of behind-the-scenes thing. We usually record on Wednesday or Thursday. So, it's Thursday today. So, the draft format has just come out. I have yet to play it or see any of the new cards. Ruben snuck in one draft during a bathroom break (laughs) <laughs> and this week we have uh, Gao Nan on as our guest, who's Yay. the only person who knows what they're talking about right now. <laughs> and I say all of this because we release the show on Sunday. So everyone who's listening will have had four days more experience than any of us have had with this draft format. So keep that in mind while you're listening. So uh, first off, we'd like to do uh, continue our segment of listener of the week so the listener of the week this week is your soulmate um he was one of the first people to send in drafts for us to review for the podcast which was always really helpful he stopped drafting near the end of the format and stopped sending in drafts because of it which was a little unfortunate for my free time but hopefully with the new format your soulmate is out there drafting and will continue the tradition of saving my butt by sending in drafts to review yay also known as argo control Hmm. anyway so thank you your soulmate and now uh arch nemesis of the week so three weeks in a (laughs) row it is once again gato sujo scourge of the sleepless co-host of the misplay podcast who challenged the farming eternal crew to a draft off so I recommend everyone listen to that while shaking their fists. So, Gaonan, how was your draft week? It was terrible. I did my last two drafts of Defiance of this, you know, second Defiance draft meta or meta 5.5, whatever you want to call it. And my first one was okay. I uh, finally got, I wrangled some dinos together and went, five three with it i was pretty happy with it and then my very final draft of defiance was a solid oh three so it was pretty disappointing but it's thursday i'm looking forward to some new drafts coming uh towards the end of this week and into the weekend and really excited about this new meta so nice how about you ruben uh i mean i i've been kind of hoarding my gold waiting for the new format so Mm. i didn't even have a chance to get my last o3 in (laughs) fortunately yeah see i feel like i was finally getting my legs under me for this draft format my last my last two drafts were like a a 5-3 and a 7-1 and i finally felt like i was figuring it out and then i did my 7-1 on uh Monday or Tuesday, and then I was like, well, do I start a new draft? But I I wasn't sure. I 
I figured I wouldn't be able to finish it. And, and I was like, man, what if the new packs are just so much stronger? I don't want to be in the middle of a draft and then have people hitting me with these ultra powerful decks. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I, so I've been holding out. I actually haven't been playing much eternal the last couple days. Been pretty busy. Sun's been out, which is not helping my free time. Uh, yeah. Helping cool. your farm, though. It is helping my farm. <laughs> it's yeah. funny you say that. I think my brother still had a draft left over from the first Defiance meta that he hadn't played. So I was encouraging him to play it in the second Defiance meta because he could probably just trounce people with it. But I don't think he even got around to that. Oh, yeah. That was my my first game of the of 5.5 was against knife bloom with the old like a really broken <laughs> deck from the previous format it felt really bad he was just like playing like all the welding torches and stuff oh and i'm God. just sitting here taking it like oh i can't there's no way <laughs> my deck was so bad too it was that was yeah yeah that's that's that was my first first playing of 5.5 was i had a a leftover five uh, set five draft and i just went like an easy seven one like one morning and it felt so great <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here that's how you get a free seven one draft <laughs> just wait until the next bad format shift happens all right so uh card of the week ruben yeah uh yeah it just was like struggling to come up with something to talk about but I will briefly talk about the new card, Char, uh, mainly because I didn't see it in any of the spoilers. I wasn't paying super close attention, so I just jumped into a draft this afternoon, and I got my third loss getting completely blown out by a unseen Char. They had one power open, and I'm just like, uh, what can blow me out here? I can't think of anything. There's no torch, right? And yeah, this, this card... I was laughing pretty hard because I was like, they printed shock. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Um, so I, I'm pretty excited to see that card. Actually. I think they're not like overpowered, but they're fun to play with. Like they always seem to, you, you, you can usually find room for this card in your deck. I feel like it's not something you're going to want to first pick or anything, but um, I'll be happy to put a one or two of these in a lot of decks. Especially if they have a more aggressive bent to them. Mm -hmm. And that's just a straight uh, one fire deal two damage? Yep, at fast speed too. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, fire actually got two fast speed burn at common slot in the new set. So, something to be aware of. It seems pretty, pretty, fire seems pretty strong. All right. What about you? All right. Well, I guess. Um... Since I haven't looked at any of the new cards, I just was going to talk about an old, a boring old card, which was Nocturnal Creeper, which has always been sort of a pet card of mine. I really liked Nightfall, and I, I would say I overvalued it, but I think I just liked Nightfall creatures more than most people in the community because based on our spreadsheet and the decks we got in, the, a lot of the Nightfall creatures actually did pretty well. Um, so I don't even know if there's any Nightfall creatures in the uh, curated packs this time around. Possibly not. But 
Uh, Nocturnal Creeper, which just seems like an innocuous uh, two one deadly for two time, ended up being, you know, our fourth best common and was well above sort of background rate of what you would expect to see, how many commons you would expect to see in a pack. And the same was true actually with the Baying Sarasaur, the um, the three time two two nightfall that uh, game plus one plus one for each card you drew. That was also it just seems like sort of an innocuous three drop, but it it did it was way better than Sandcrawler and actually was quite plentiful in the decks we received. So I think um, you know these are just. Uh, examples of I think cards that people undervalue that end up being surprisingly good. So I think we should all be on the lookout in the draft packs for these kind of cards. Oh, and I would like to say that this was actually Ben's card of the week for <laughs> for the record. Give credit okay, where credit is due. Um, so my card of the week is Icebo, the perfect counter to Nocturnal Creeper. Uh, just ping true. it off the board and it also pairs very nicely with nocturnal creeper and any other deadly guys you might wrangle up in a draft um Icebo becomes a slay at that point assuming your opponent's creature doesn't have ages so uh i've always enjoyed Icebo. there's plenty of uh x ones in different formats that are important to get rid of so Icebo does pretty well with that and even in the new draft format, I'm not sure about all the deadly guys that are in the curated packs, but I know Direfang Spider, which is basically Scorpion in Shadow, um, is in those curated packs. So there is still potential for those sweet, uh, deadly synergies with Icebow. So be on the lookout for that in the new format. And I hope you had plenty of fun in the old format with this card it's here to stay yeah ice bow was one of those we were talking about this beforehand but one of those underperformers for me or cards that just like never did as well for me as it did for other people but i actually think part of that was i'm not very good at drafting these like two or three card synergies and that's been something i've been working on this uh, 5.5 actually has helped me a lot in that regard. Um, like I started playing Brush Stalker, Killer, um, mm-hmm. sort of two-card synergy and stuff like that. Those are like little, like little tricks in draft that I'm just not very good about thinking about while I'm drafting. Icebo is one of those that, you know, gets better the more you think about what other cards you have in your deck to best utilize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, t- a two card combo in a you know in a limited format where you've got a much smaller deck is pretty legitimate. So it's always good to maximize all of those little synergies as much as you can. But yeah, I like I like that you mentioned this. I think there are quite a few few uh, death touch units in like uncommon and stuff in this new set, also. All right, so now uh, we usually do our seven-win breakdown here, but with the new format out, it seems like it's not really worth um, talking about the seven-win cards or anything that we have. We are still, of course, collecting seven wins for the new format, and we would love as many decks as we can get. 
it was really great in 5.5 because we were getting 40, 60 decks a week. So we were getting a lot of decks and a lot of stats really quickly. So hopefully that will continue. So um, for anyone who doesn't know, um, we collect everyone's seven-wing deck list, and you can send that to farm, farmingeternal at gmail.com. And you can just send an exported deck list, and then we keep two spreadsheets. One of them keeps track of um, factions and splashes and also lists all the deck lists with some comments about them. Um, so you, And what's good about that sheet is it can really give you first a good sense of what factions are doing well, but even also reviewing the seven win deck lists, you can really see what people are doing and having success with. And that was one of the things that helped me a lot in the last format is like making the relic decks work in like Aurelian. I just never could get them work to work. But by looking at other people who are having success, like drafting an Aurelian deck with left right courtiers and all of those cards you could really see like oh this is what a solid relic matters deck looks like and then the other one is a little bit more of a complicated spreadsheet but um ben has an excel document that does a card by card breakdown of what cards are doing well in the format and what cards are showing up most in all the deck lists we receive so once again if you do have a seven one deck list please send that to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And then I, we also like to thank everyone who sent in deck lists. So new this week, we have uh, three new contributors. That's Dodo UK, John P, and Meagles. And then we had um, a bunch of veterans who sent in deck lists once again this week. That's Abidnego, Agent Dynamo, Angel A, Balkoth, Ben Grasher, Captain Cookies and Cream, Celtic Guardian 7, Colton S, Dwiggy, Handy Bobcat, Jeff W, Nero, Patomaru, Ruben L, Shogun Tokugawa, and Tim J. And then uh, the final thing uh, I just wanted to talk about was just once again thanking everyone for sending in all the deck lists. So in the Defiance format, heading into this new format, our top three contributors were Dwiggy, who had 22 deck lists that they sent in over the Defiance format. Uh, Man and Mouse and Ruben were our other top two contributors. The other thing of note was uh, Gato Sujo, my arch nemesis. He had five <laughs> seven-win deck lists. And then Ben Grasher made a little note next to it, and I quote this very liberally. Not sure the name of the other guy, but I really don't think I can find any deck lists for him. But Shots we all fired. Hey, uh, that wasn't me. That was all Ben. From the shadows. Potentially. <laughs> so we had 111 unique contributors to the things. 27 contributors with at least five deck lists. Unfortunately, one of them was Gato Sujo. And almost 400 deck lists sent in from all of the Defiance drafts. So... That was just uh, really exciting, and we're really glad that this project that we kind of started on a whim has been so successful. The two things we'd like to do this week is, one, we thought we would say goodbye to the Defiance format and then say hello to Dark Frontier. So I had a few questions that I asked um, all the guys about the Defiance format, and so we're just going to go through those. 
and then we'll talk about some new cards afterwards. So, Gaonan, how would you summarize the Defiance draft format? For me, it was all about being patient with your removal, and that was the best way for me to win games because so often people would Voltron up one unit and you could get a huge blowout if you were patient with your removal or timed your stuns properly to get in lethal damage. So that's how I kind of summed up the Defiance draft format for me. And Ruben? Uh, it was, I mean, it was just fun. I liked it a lot. I thought Def- Defiance had a lot of cool angles, mainly because it was tri-faction supported. So you really got to, like he, he like Gaonan was saying, being patient was so critical because you could play anything. Like the fixing, especially before they, they switched things up, was so good. And so you basically were always at least three factions with a lot of times splashing a fourth and sometimes even the fifth. So it was really cool to see that it, it, it kind of felt like a uh, the, one of those formats that you could either go in like trying to force some aggressive strategy or something, which I did multiple times, or uh, staying really open too. So it was just a wide variety of uh, cool angles to attack the format from. So I, I had fun. I, I'm going to miss it. So... And then Ben Ben answered all of these questions too. So he said synergy is a trap and take fixing. And that's probably the most Ben thing I could think of saying. And I I said weapons are good in eternal. I think I'm always surprised. I, I don't just mean weapons, but you know, like Gaonan said, Voltroning up just was so good in in this last format and could win you so many games out of nowhere. And coming a little bit from a magic background where like auras and stuff are a lot more dangerous in magic than they are internal. It's like a lesson that I keep having to learn. So, Especially those dang spellcraft weapons. Yeah. Oh, that was so sweet. I missed them. I know. So how did you like the format overall? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was... um... Great, kind of what Ruben was saying. You know, we it was like the draft format was your oyster. You could really go any direction and come up with, you know, something to do given all the fixing that we had. And for me, it felt like one of the first formats where you didn't, you know, the person with the better flyers didn't just win. So, um, you know, talking about those spellcraft weapons, the tempo they created with, um, peacekeeper's helm or changey stick or welding torch like those really swung the game in your favor and so it didn't feel like flyers were the only way to win um i didn't love the second defiance meta but it was short so i'm over it (laughs) and you ruben how do you like the format i i I liked it i thought the the second one grew on me with the tribal stuff Mainly because I, I accepted it for what it was more like just a regular draft format with the chance for some tribal things to potentially come together. Uh, yeah. So I, I had a thought recently about how the be- at the beginning of a format, it's going to feel like the decks are worse because everyone is drafting worse. So I, I feel like you're 
your signals are going to be more mixed. It's going to be a lot harder to figure out what you're doing because you're still getting packs passed from live players. Um, so I, I feel like people got a little upset a little too soon about the most the more previous format. Just 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 throwing that out there that if something feels bad, just give it some time. And I, I feel like uh signals might become a little clearer and the format will start making more sense in general but i don't know that's just some theorizing i was doing earlier i'm not sure what you guys think about any of that no i i agree i mean i also really liked it and even started coming around to 5.5 by the end sort of like i even said in how my draft week was going i felt like i was finally starting to figure it out and and doing well with it but but yeah so that was sort of my impression i really liked five and really felt like i had a good grasp and 5.5 i almost felt like ended a little too soon i mean i think i draft probably a little less than a lot of the hardcore drafters that listen to our podcast just because of time especially now that it's getting near summer but so I just felt like I I actually just didn't even get a chance to put in enough games to 5.5 to really feel like to give a fair assessment of it. Um, yeah, that's that's a good point. I might be in that same boat, too. I think I might have only had like 10 to 15 drafts in this new format. So I didn't play a ton of games in this new format. So. And I, I do think Ruben's point is super valid about, you know, I think this is just the eternal community in general is we tend to get our pitchforks pretty quickly um, when something isn't exactly as we expect it to be. So uh, we need to be patient and give it a little bit more time before we make any wide sweeping declarations about, you know, validity of a format or whether it's fun or not. Yeah, and then Ben says, I think 5 was amazing. 5.5 felt like a false promise in retrospect. When you add cards like the 3-4 Flying Bond Dino or Slope Sergeant, you have to do more to support them, and they did not. And so most of the lists that we received ignored the whole drive behind the card swap and just drafted good cards. In that vein... So, you know, this is the first time that they really tried a huge draft shakeup half or in the middle of the format. Uh, we thought it was halfway, but it ended up being nowhere near halfway with the, the sort of the speedy release of Dark Frontier. But I just wanted your general thoughts. So did you like the fact that they had such a, a big shakeup in the middle of the format, first off? Yeah, no, I think it was really good that Direwolf experimented with the possibility of doing something like this just because they've never done it before and it at least kept us on our toes and kept gave us you know something fun to do for the last month you know the set uh obviously i think going forward kind of speaking to ruben's previous point we would want more time with this new format before it just disappears i think for people to really get a grasp on it and and it you know, keeps the, the previous format from getting stale too. So I think if they do more of an even split between sets, I mean, it all depends on how often they're releasing sets and whatnot. But yeah, I think it was really a good move on their part because I think draft tends to get or can get stale and you see a lot of the same players over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because it's just a smaller player base. There's not as many people that are really interested in drafting as there are in constructed. Um, you know, you don't even get your win of the day if you win a draft game, which I think is a easy change for them to make. But this is a good step in the right direction, I think, because it keeps it fresh for people. And I think, I think when they do this, it'll bring more people back to the formats. You know, maybe they got a sour taste in their mouth quickly at the beginning of a format and didn't play it for much longer, but then they saw there's a new format and that might bring more people back and being interested in playing again. So I don't have much to add on that. Sorry. Pretty much. Like you said, I'm glad they experimented. It was pretty obvious that that's what it was, was kind of just seeing what they could do. And if any, and if people would still be playing it or, or if it would bring players back to drafting. Yeah, no, I think going on, uh, summed that one up, uh, pretty pretty well so the next question is um so what do you hope to see in future format changes if they continue this like halfway through shaking up the format the other question and this is a little ambiguous but how long do you want to be playing set six before a shakeup i personally any number of them would be fine with me but uh I I think I would like at least a, probably a month and a half, two months with each format potentially. I think they could fit in an extra an extra shakeup in in the cycle if it's like a kind of a six month cycle. I, f- I feel like uh, that two maybe months, that maybe months. they might you know be. You think that's too much? No, I was saying oh. if it was two months, two months, two months. Yeah, something like that sounds fun to me. Um, I I think. They'll be able to tweak things as they get lots of data and stuff. I know that they they do pay attention to stuff like that. I've, I feel like they've made nerfs and balance changes in the past. Um, so I think even looking at those potential nerfs and balance changes, sometimes they could just come up with new draft packs to guide things the way the direction they want it to be. You know, I, I think that's a cool way for them to do it, and I hope that that's what they're thinking i don't know about the whole like uh bringing in a whole bunch of mechanics or tribals it's gonna be tougher to to figure out the right balance for that type of thing but yeah i am i'm always down for mixing things up and having to relearn formats and stuff i think that was really interesting because 5.5 felt like about as big of a change as they could make in the curated pack from 5 to 5.5. Like, the curated packs were almost totally different. But in the end, the the drafting actually, I feel like, didn't end up that different. Like, the decks that I ended up doing well with in 5.5 were pretty similar to the decks I ended up de- doing well with in 5. I mean, there were, all, there, there were the synergy decks and stuff out there, but... I feel like it it actually didn't shake things up as much as I would expect. And I guess I'm just very surprised because I think if I if you had asked me beforehand, I'd be like, oh, this is totally changing. This is going to totally change the format. And then I think they tried to totally change the format and it didn't change it that much. So it kind of makes me wonder, like, how much effect the curated packs actually have on the format especially as like the newer sets keep getting like more and more powerful. Um, yeah. I don't know what you guys think about that. I think that's an interesting point because I think what was most impactful about the 5.5 changes was really the pack order because 
in five you were looking at okay i got this coastal beast master or i got this carnivorous sauropod yeah i got i got one of these in my first packs and i know i want to be genev and now i just need to find the fixing to make it happen whereas in 5.5 it was more okay i'm gonna like goof around for a little bit early in this pack to you know just take the strongest cards and kind of see where i end up and then see what signposts i potentially see in packs two and three to really um push me a certain direction because you know what i'm kind of hearing from your thoughts i'm i'm almost wondering like if it didn't really have that big of an effect is it that i mean i think it's still good to mix up the format but if it didn't really change how the format's playing out was it did it accomplish what dire wolf wanted or i wonder if they think it's uh if it was a good like experiment or not but you know that's all speculative like i don't really have a point in so much as i left 5.5 being very surprised at how hard it seems like it will be to like truly shake up the format or make it feel completely different if 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 that's what they're going for as compared to oh well let's give everyone like some slightly new cards to play with yeah Um, yeah i think with you know, half your packs being a single set, it probably is pretty difficult to make it feel like totally new and different, you know? So unless they all of a sudden said, okay, now we've got four curated packs and it includes the new set plus these other cards potentially or something like that, then maybe they could make it feel totally new. But that would be that would be a whole new experiment for them to do. I think that you're right, Patrick, the the it felt like things didn't change as much as we thought they would. And I think that's largely because Defiance was just so powerful. So yeah. many powerful cards. And a lot of the commons were just really, really strong. A lot of the Amplify cards and stuff. And they they intentionally made the draft packs in both of the recent formats far weaker than the mm-hmm. Defiance cards. And I, And right now it's looking pretty much the exact same to me in philosophy with the new set. Now, we're going to do a couple of quick hits about this last format. So by the end of the format, um, Gaonan, what did you think was the best faction? So with the first draft format, I really felt like it was pretty well balanced. The only thing that really stuck out to me was Keridin seemed to be the weakest. Like nobody really wanted to play the Empower strategy, while Ixton was like, the best and what everybody wanted to play like that was the popular kid in school but for the the second defiance meta 5.5 i didn't really feel like anything was over the top different kind of like we've been saying but i did feel like they really boosted shadow by giving it much better removal in the curated pack so that was a nice boost um because it it at least made me want to play shadow more so and ruben i was way into the Rakano based weapon decks in the first defiance format and then when the switch over happened i felt like there i didn't have any preference any direction so it mainly because they took out my sledge and welding torch and yeah. <laughs> changey stick and stuff like that it was just so easy to just pull together a really solid weapon based aggro deck because the the power level of the commons was so high across the board it felt like you could always 
kind of pulled pulled that deck together. So I was almost forcing Rakano aggro <laughs> for the first few weeks to great success. Um, mm-hmm. When the when the switch up happened, I just had no. I was floundering. I had no idea what I was doing until I like went back to the drawing board and decided to use the isomorphic uh, stay open till late pack two strategy and that went back to giving me good results um mainly because like we were saying defiance was such a strong set compared to those uh curated packs that waiting to see what those were bringing to you was felt really smart whereas i had a couple broken drafts early on where i was trying to force some sort of tribal shenanigans it just was bad (laughs) it's really bad all right what about you patrick yeah, well, Ben said the open one question mark. The open and... one is the best faction. <laughs> yeah, and I kind of agreed. I mean, I think in the first format, I think it was true. Like the empower and go wide strategies didn't feel very good. But I think FJS and Carindon actually, like all the factions had strong enough cards that you could make really good decks. So I really don't think there was a best faction even if some of the faction themes failed. I didn't play enough of 5.5 to really get a good sense of it, but that's that was my impression of set five. So now the hard-hitting questions. So pack one, pick one. What's uh, what's your pack one, pick one common in set five, Gaonan? Uh, so for me, Conflagrate, Oni Forge Master... Infused Guardian, Power Breach Sentinel, everybody's favorite Keratin Steward, Bannerman, like all these were like, you're perfect, leave you open, go into any deck, you can splash for these, maybe not Power Breach Sentinel, but all the other cards you can pretty much splash for, I guess you wouldn't really splash for Forge Master either. Um, and then, of course, the multi-faction cards of Beastmaster and Sauropod, even Mighty Strikes before the nerf was, I think, pack one, pick one worthy. I think after the nerf, it, it probably wasn't, but I felt like there was a lot of cards that I was happy to take over. Many of the rares, many of the uncommons. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so you've just now opened the best pack of your life. Which of these cards are you taking first? Probably Conflagrate. Yeah. Just because it's just so solid. The amplifiability. It, it puts you in fire, which is I prefer to be aggressive. Um, especially when we're talking 5, not 5.5. And you've got Welding Torch and all those other nice cards in the curated packs too. So, yeah, I think Conflagrate is probably the probably the sweet spot to be at point my, my pack one pick one common is also conflagrate yeah i took it over most things a lot of the time i agree too good. Uh, my my pack one pick one is conflagrate probably number two would be carindon steward ben though ben goes with carindon steward he said shadow was always super open the card is busted if you think a card outperformed this you're probably wrong so we're all wrong yeah, I guess so. Now, set 5.5, we switched the pack order. So once again, pack one, pick one, top common, set 5.5. Okay, I'll really pick one this time. For me, it would probably be Extinguish. Like I kind of mentioned earlier, I really loved how Shadow got a lot better removal in 5.5. 
and I was happy to be in like a slower, more controlling list and extinguish kind of similar to conflagrate and takes out a threat. Not that it can take out multiple, but also keeps your hand full. So you were talking about those nightfall triggers earlier. And Okay. So Ruben pack one, pick one. Uh, for, oh, for the, for set 5.5, right? Yeah. That was the finest hour for me is always the one I'm happiest to see. Huh? I just I love that card so much. Yeah, it's just so efficient. That's the thing is it's it, it always manages to I don't know it do, does exactly what you want it to do pretty much all the time. Um, and it's it's great like defensively or aggressively in a lot of decks too. Yes. So I yeah I, I like Finasaur. That's just I mean I'm I'm a sucker for cheap powerful effects above yeah. all. Yeah, I think my, mine, I said Trailmaker, but I might be fooling myself because I think Trailmaker does everything I want a card to do. You know, it fixes you, which was great in 5.5. It ramps you, which is great if you're playing all those big time cards. But as I've slowly learned about myself, that I might actually be um, a lot more aggressive than than I think of myself. And so even though I would pick Trailmaker first, I, I would probably O3 that draft and wish I had drafted <laughs> Fire. Ben also takes Trailmaker, pack one, pick one, and set 5.5. Okay, so now that was the best commons, which I think are you know one of the most important cards in our format. But pack one, pick one, you're living in your dream world. What card do you want to open in set five? Down um, for me, it'd be any side or any smuggler. I was happy to windmill slam those anytime. It didn't matter what it was. I'd even take the uh, Torgov's trading post. I did not care. Like getting cards for free with a hard to interact piece for your opponent was just great. And having access to a market was also amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Torgov's Trading Post it was just a, a great card. That was like the one card in the game that you could get stuck on power and still win. I I had one game uh, in five where I got stuck on two power, but, but drew two of my Sentinels. Nice. And uh, yeah. That's a good feeling. 12, yeah. 12 Endurance out there. And uh, so Ruben, pack one, pick one. What are you hoping to open? I really love the card Elder Astrologer, and I feel like I got, I saw that card so often, and I have no idea why people kept passing it to me. <laughs> I never complained. I was always totally willing to shift into Shadow for that card, because it's, I mean, a 4-4 flyer for 5 that has a really powerful summon effect as well. Giving something plus X plus O and life steal is just nuts, and it felt like it all. It basically always came down and and put the race back in your favor, no matter what position you were in. So yeah, that that was one of my favorite cards that I for some reason saw all the time. Yeah, yeah, that that one definitely was passed a lot more than it should have been. So I said Diza's office. I think I agree with Gaunan. All the sites were very good. I think um, Diza's office was one of the best. You know, it was a little expensive. But if you threw a site down, people just didn't know how to play against it. Dizo's office 
gave all your units life steal. So even if they tried to A space and you had to do some bad blocks, you were still helping, you know, stabilize your life total and stuff. It sort of just did everything. And Ben said Moonstone Vanguard. Great when you're ahead, great when you're behind, great on curve, great with tricks, randomly enable synergies, has pledge for some reason. That card it, has been added to the draft packs too. Really? For the new draft. Yeah, I know this because I was telling Galnon earlier, I got past this pick five in my second pack of this recent draft I just started. So That's crazy. I have no idea why it made it that late. I feel like you can probably move into time for this card. Feeling it, lucky right now about that draft. Yeah. <laughs> it was about. one of our highest performing rares in five. I don't know. I think it didn't do quite as well in 5.5, but... So now, was there any card that you felt like you underrated at first that ended up being better than you thought down on? For me, it was just fixing in general. So I wasn't valuing the Bannermans or the Seek Powers or the Strangers as highly as I should have been early on in Set 5 draft because I was getting these weird decks where I was split evenly between three factions. And uh, so then I just needed all the fixing I could get, but I didn't have any and I was ending up with bad decks. So later in the format, I started valuing fixing and then, you know, more so being in two factions and lightly splashing that third faction for the powerful splash cards, like the beast masters and the sauropods and stuff like that. How about you, Ruben? I underrated Fall Short. That was one of the early ones that I, I remember I was kind of... It, it's one of those cards that you, you can't really properly assess until you play with it, really. But it was the fact that it was fast, and it took out a lot of uh, beefy guys. And there were quite a few targets in the format. I think Fall Short is in the new format as well, where I think it's going to be worse. (laughs) Here, I'm going to maybe eat my words again. I think it's going to be worse than it was, but I still may be underrating it. Who knows? Our statistics actually had it doing really well in both of the Last Defiance formats. They still did leave the uh, little micro synergy. We're talking about, you know, two card synergies in your decks of uh, Coastal Diplomat and Fall Short, but I don't know if that's a, if it's worth uh, playing such a weak card to have that synergy in your deck. <laughs> yeah, and so mine was Mighty Strikes, which is kind of a weird one, I I think, because uh, it ended up being so obviously powerful. But I think part of my problem was it was such a good card that I just like couldn't believe that they would print such a good card. And so <laughs> I was like, it can't possibly be as good as everyone's saying it is. But being able to give multiple units um, overwhelm or any kind of evasion and just like win games on its own, it was obviously, even in its nerfed form, I think one of a sort of a pillar of the format. And I'm going to go into set six looking for these kind of cards, these, these yeah. combat tricks or weapons that give some form of evasion or overwhelm or things like that that can just win games on their own yeah hearing you say that one now i'm thinking a little bit more and i'm thinking about bottoms up like 
I never that that card is so unassuming, but it stole so many games for me that I felt like I should have otherwise lost just because my opponent like no matter how they blocked, they were going to lose basically, but that's another card that I feel like I really underrated early on. It's funny that we're kind of talking about some of these amplify effects and kind of seeing a trend here with the cards we underrated early on. Yeah. Yeah, and Ben said uh, Frostwave Maddening Whispers. Uh, he says it's still hard for me to take them over a solid unit, but they were they just proved themselves over and over again. So he says maybe I need to work on that. Okay, so was there any card that you overrated or just or that just never did what you wanted it to do? For me, it was definitely Acantha's Outrider. Early on, I thought, oh, a 3-3 flyer for 6, that should be fine. And if I get the dream of playing this on turn 3 or something like that because I have a Frost Talisman in my deck or something, then then this card is going to be really good. And so I was... Or I feel like early on in the format, I was picking this card super highly, and then I kind of figured out, oh, I can't really pick this before I have the relics in place. Like, just being a 3-3 flyer for 6 isn't enough in this format, because decks are going to run you over before you got to that point in the game. So um, that's one that definitely changed for me over time. How about you, Ruben? I I was going to say another uh, Relic Matters card. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that our our longtime listeners are gonna laugh when I say this, but the I overrated consuming greed a <laughs> tiny bit. Mm. I will. I, I, a funny funny thing about this is I had like two before we even started the seven win spreadsheet or the podcast. I had really great success drafting the relic deck deck like two or three times before that. So I was like going into the show like. You know, oh, I've got this super secret tech. I'm going to, you know, give people the, the lowdown on how to do this relic deck right. And I literally never made it happen again after that. <laughs> like, like I just never, I didn't even bother trying. It was so hard to to make it come together. So I will say I was, I was uh, overrating the entire Relic Matters deck in general. I think that it was there and it was decent if it came together. Because the the problem was a lot of those relics, I think, also became kind of premier cards for other decks in general. Like Pitfall Trap wasn't mm-hmm. just a Relic Matters card. It was really important for a lot of decks. And it was amazing with just play a smuggler loot was like mm-hmm. pretty good. Um, so a lot of those types of cards. I know that Ben Ben said his card was Lethra Courtier, so keeping in with the, <laughs> the yeah. theme of us, all of us, like, overrating the Relic Matters cards, kind of, I, I think is is funny, but pretty accurate all around. But even based on the results we were getting with deck lists and stuff, this these styles of decks just rarely came together properly and gave people seven wins. Yeah, I th- I do think that that deck was out there and that there were a few people who are sending us deck lists that were consistently having good results with it. So I could never figure out if I was just building the deck wrong and all of these cards were more powerful than I thought than they were doing for me or or if it was just a matter of like when they, you know, kind of like a synergy deck. So when they did work, they were very powerful, but 
the people that were sending in the deck lists were getting lucky and getting these great decks as compared to they were like making the card work. Sort of along in the same lines, I picked uh, two sort of synergy cards. One was Awaken the Ages. I blame um, Ruben's brother for this <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I, uh, I mean, I always really liked the card because it just seems like ramping could be so powerful, especially with all the great endgame late game that there was in Defiance. And uh, Ruben's brother early on in the format had a, this crazy like ramp sentinel strategy that just seemed like everything I wanted to do. And it just never did what I wanted it to do. And <laughs> drafting multiples of them were weird because mostly maybe because I'm not great, but I just like never knew how to build my power base then. It's like when you, if you have three Awake in the Ages, it's like how many power do you play? And I just could never figure things like that yeah. out. Yeah, my brother does crazy things. Like he still will run like 15, 16 power in a lot of decks if if it's looking like the right type of deck. Hmm. Just because he he you know will say you know well you, you know you're guaranteed at least two, and if you have X and X number of these cards and whatnot. So it's just it's something that I'm trying to implement a little more, like kind of experimenting with running less power. Um, it, it I, I think there's it's there's something to be said for that. I, I feel like out of habit, I pretty much always would do 17 or 18 almost every time and rarely vary from that. Mm -hmm. And you're mostly extreme. 18, I think. Yeah, I bet if you looked at my deck list, it's like 90% 18 power. Yeah. It, it always just feels like a safe number for me. With the way that the card draw system works in Eternal, I'm more worried about never hitting my like fifth, sixth power than anything with a lot of my decks. That's usually what holds you back, I feel like. Unless you have something aggressive. Or one of these crazy five Awake in the Ages decks, maybe. Or <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's just filtering. He's already running less lands, and he's ramping, and everything he's ripping off the top of his deck is like a big sentinel or something. It's really crazy, but I think there are different angles you can attack the format from sometimes. So now we're going to go into a few quick hit questions before we finally say goodbye to the Defiance draft format. So by the end of the format, how many conflagrates would you put in your deck, Gaunan? As many as I could fit. Ruben? Probably no more than five. <laughs> <laughs> I said seven, and Ben said five. How about Coastal Beastmasters? For me, I'm probably at three or four, maybe five. I just It's too many five drops for me. I'm more aggressive than that. Uh, yeah, four, four feels like kind of the limit for me. Oh, man. Well, Ben says, I don't believe you can play more than 24 Beastmasters in a deck legally. <laughs> but I would probably cap it at seven. And I said five. Kind of splitting the difference between these two. Between you two. Okay, so Carindon, playable or not? Down no, on. I would say evenly split, no. But if you're base Xenon splashing Justice or Combray splashing Shadow, then you probably have a good shot with the deck. And I couldn't think of Argentport splashing Time because I couldn't think about too many Time cards that I would want to splash for. Ruben? Uh, I experimented a little bit with Carindon. Well, I mean, a lot over the period <laughs> of the last several months but uh the empower deck was decidedly bad the units were just not good and 
it was just really hard to make it work. But uh, I, I, Karen and Good Stuff decks were always kind of floating around, and I think they were better than a lot of people realize. The problem was that they were just mixed in there, so many of these bad Empower Matters cards. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I said, I'm not really sure why they were always so underrepresented in our deck list. But it felt like the Karen did good stuff deck. There was a lot of good time cards, a lot of good shadow cards. And so I think people just didn't like the... There were so many bad Empower cards. And the um, bird guy was just not great. And the display wasn't great either, I guess. Yeah, it was definitely the worst display. So I think that just turned people off of an otherwise okay deck yeah i think the having a time base was like the most important thing for the deck because then you were doing infuse guardian and power breach sentinel together which that feels good but a lot of the other stuff the deck was doing wasn't it didn't feel great and you you know you could have finest hour to back you up and stuff like that so play vanquish play annihilate like there are definitely strong cards there but like Ruben said, it's mostly just, like, good stuff. Okay. So your opponent plays an Unraveling Fanatic. How many cards do you draw? Down on. Just one for me. Yeah. Don't want to don't don't risk that turn two or turn three. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so, so the question is, how, how many turns do you allow it to stick around and draw you a card? Yeah. I mean... You just all automatically kill this thing as soon as you see it. If you're able to, like, because if you don't, what if they draw a pump spell to save it from your removal spell? You know, like, you can't risk it. It's I know, too, but it's too good. You just got to get rid but of it. But then I got to, yeah, but if, if, so if I draw one card, I try and kill it, they pump it to save it. Then I draw another card, I have another <laughs> chance to remove it. So I'm just rolling the dice here, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then, Ruben, it's like what we talked about in the last episode. If you assume that you're a better drafter than your opponent, they're just giving you better cards. <laughs> oh, God. No. There are no better cards than that thing when it flips. <laughs> it is the most terrifying card. It is, we're just we're can't, definitely can't killing it. it. We all agree we have to kill it eventually. But but you're saying you want to you want to get you know draw a card or two first. Yeah, roll the <laughs> dice a little bit. I I can see that argument. I'm gonna strongly disagree and say kill that thing as soon as possible. Yeah. I always <laughs> I always drew one card. Maybe. You're like that's oh, okay. I'll be alright. What if they like threw a huge weapon on it and all of a sudden you're like oh I was gonna save this pitfall trap for the next turn and <laughs> just lost. This might have been one of the cards that I was really underrating because I didn't. Like, I remember on multiple occasions, I passed this card, pack one, pick one. Uh, I didn't love it, but I know other people were super high on it. Yeah, you weren't alone, though. I think a lot of people were confused by it initially. I know N. Roush, I watched him drafting at one point. He's like, is this card good? And it was like me and like one other person like, yes, take it. And everybody's like, really? Is it good? And he ended up just dismantling people with it like it, it's so powerful because it's a must answer threat yeah it i mean you can't go wrong with a card that literally just wins the game on its own at three three power is really cheap yeah i think for me 
my problem was I was like way too high on it at first. I came down too much and then kind of by the end ended up somewhere in the middle. I think because the first time I drafted it, I had it flip for me a couple times. So I was just like, best card in the format. <laughs> Never pass one. <laughs> Can't lose. And then you went 03. Yeah, well, then by the time, <laughs> by the middle of the format, people started really evaluating ping effect or really valuing ping effects. So it just got so much worse once, obviously, everyone was able to deal with it. And then I, but it still is very powerful. So it's just, it's maybe it wasn't obviously the best card in the format, but definitely yeah. fun. Who doesn't fun. like to draw cards? Uh, best site? I would say, well, I'm being different here because I saw everybody else pick the same site. So I picked <laughs> Praxis Arcanum because you get a 7 7 and you're playing this on turn four. You likely have bodies to keep in front of it. You can make one of them deadly so they're not incentivized to attack into you. So, and it uh, decreases the cost of all your stuff. So I thought. You know, it's it's a card. It's only in one faction, so it's got that similar feel to some of the other sites. And I thought it it's pretty powerful, but I don't think I ever got to play with it in draft. I did. I experimented with it a little in constructed, but uh, yeah, it's a fun one. Admit it, you just like it because it synergizes with Ice Bow. That's right. So Ruben, I, I just picked Dizo's office. It's it's like one of the ones that doesn't require any help to win the game too. It just kind of drops and kills their best thing and then draws you the best card off the top of your deck. And then even even Dizo's not a is a pretty solid game winning threat in general. Dizo's really good. I, agree. I mean, either I can imagine scenarios where the other sites are just as good, if not better. Like a Regent's Tomb on the play sounds ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Never got to do that in draft, but I would love to. <laughs> Uh, what did you say, Pat? You said Dizo's too, right? I said Dizo's office, and Ben said Dizo's office, but barely, but just because it's easier to cast than peak. So now we're on to blue on common. So are, are you guys Team Albatross or Team Mantisaur? I'm on Team Mantisaur. I love that Aegis. It's so mm-hmm. good. And Ruben? Yeah, Mantisaur. But, yeah. but by a fraction, I think that... Albatross is amazing. Yeah. And I said Manasaur and Ben said Manasaur. And this is actually part of the reason I asked this question because Albatross consistently had way more copies than Manasaur in our seven win deck list. And we spent a lot of time trying to figure out exactly why. I mean, one of the obvious ones is just that. Um, Manasaur is a five primal primal card, and Albatross is just a three primal card. Easier so you, to splash. It's easier to splash, easier to play. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. You know, you can say you would play more copies of Albatross, but I feel like you'd play as many copies of Manasaur as you picked up too. So, I think you can just pick it earlier without potentially like being able to play Albatross. Like we said, you can splash it more easily because it's only the single primal. And, you know, if you're playing Albatross on six, that's where you want to be playing it most of the time. Yeah. Um, whereas Manasaur, like, you want to play it on five. There's no value for you playing it later into your curve. So, yeah. 
Yeah. The one thing is, though, even with all the like easier to splash and stuff, is because we're only looking at seven win decks. It's just it really is just like the cards that show up are the cards that perform best, and so I do think that there is something to even though Mantisaur seems like the obvious sort of stronger card or more game winning card, there is something to the fact that Albatross had so many more appearances in our deck lists, even if I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so finally, uh, Gaonan, what were your biggest takeaways from this draft format? The first meta, it was just who needs flyers when you have spellcraft weapons. It just always felt like you had a way to get those last points of damage in, in your aggressive weapon-based deck. So... You didn't really need flyers. And then in the second Defiance meta, it was that synergy-based decks still frustrate me and that flyers still win games when there's Mm -hmm. no spellcraft weapons. For me, it was a lot of just generally figuring out more about drafting Eternal (laughs) and how the, the pack orders and all of that really has an impact on your decks like the the fact that you're you're trying to find that intersection of like what's open in packs one and four and what's open in two and three like that that's the sweet spot and sometimes the it doesn't happen but that's the ideal and that's what you're you should be aiming for as much as possible and i think that's going to be something that's going to apply to just about every single eternal draft format (laughs) forever yeah. It's just the it's just the way it works. So I feel like that lesson I've cemented solidly in my own head about, you know, don't because in, in Magic the Gathering it was very different. It always felt like you you could put your foot down in your favorite colors really early because you're cutting them for the for pack one. So pack two it's coming back to you and it's probably gonna be flowing more. So if you could figure out what was open and really like uh, just take every single card of that color. That was pretty much always the preferred strategy. Whereas in Eternal, it's very different. <laughs> it's just so much uh, uh, guesswork and trying to stay open and figure out what what's what's happening in those packs, the second and third packs. So yeah, that was that was the biggest part for me. Yeah, and I had a couple uh, quick hit things. One was. I feel like Defiance was me constantly relearning the lesson that even if the devs are trying to force a synergy, it doesn't mean that's where you want to be or that's the best deck. And oftentimes it's just as good to just take the most powerful cards and build a good deck out of that. Um, And then I thought that Primal and Fire told two sort of interesting stories uh, because both were some of the most represented factions in both Defiance and 5.5. And I felt like if you looked at Fire's cards, and we did this when we looked at the bad cards, you're like, wow, Fire has a lot of really bad cards. But it was carried by a few key, like, really strong commons. Um, even And it didn't even have that very, really good, like, uncommons to power it. While Primal was sort of the opposite story, well, Primal had some very, very good uncommons and i felt like its common sweep was not very good even still both of them ended up being very strong factions in the last format so i think 
I mean, I, I'm not really sure what <laughs> what that tells us, but I think it just shows you how hard it is to evaluate like what factions doing best and what cards can help, you know, and that there's certain key cards can help carry a faction, even if its supporting cast isn't as great as you'd like it to be. Yes. And then Ben said, when a card is replacement level, take fixing. Again, a very Ben thing to say. All right. So that's it. That's our sunset. Goodbye, Defiance. Hello, Dark Frontier. All right. So we're let's get into talking about the next set, Dark Frontier. Um, well, I guess first, I think this the most interesting thing is to go through a few of the biggest mechanics that they're bringing on and kind of what what the impact of these is going to be in a, a limited format because I think many, many of these cards are not constructed playable but are going to have quite a huge impact on our drafts. Um, so yeah, the first one we'll talk about is Twist, which is where you, you pay a cost and twist your unit to get an effect. And Twisting gives your unit plus one, minus one. So for a lot of the units I'm seeing so far, they're designed to be twisted. There's a there's a few that that are like two ones with twists, so you kind of have to choose whether or not to sacrifice them for an effect. Um, and some of those look a little weak to me, but in general, I think that it, these cards are going to be really powerful. What are you guys thinking so far? I I agree with you 100%. I think Twist is going to be super powerful because you're getting a card-like effect, but you're just spending the cost of twisting your unit. And in some cases, you might want to twist your unit because it gives it a more aggressive stat line. You know, one of the examples that I put on here was Towride Test Pilot, which is uh, for Justice... One four flyer where you can pay two and twist to gain one armor. Yes, the gaining the armor is not that exciting, but the fact that you can turn your tower top patrol into a more aggressive flyer, speed up that clock is something that's exciting. Um, and there's also quite a few effects in the format of how you can increase the health of your unit. So I think that's important too, because you can recur this twist effect multiple times. It's not just, you know, dependent on that unit's original toughness. There are cards you can use, like I know Refresh is in the curated packs. So you could use Refresh to then twist your unit um, multiple times. Like there, I know there's a twisting guy that draws you cards. In Primal, I know there's a twisting guy that gives you ping effects in Shadow. Yeah. Um, it just seems like you're getting a card-like effect for just spending your power, basically. So what do you, what do you think about uh, Worn Shield? I know, I think that's in the, the draft packs. I, I, it just made me think about that, because I, I have already done one draft. It was just Huru Flyers. And I went two, three, and it felt okay. But like, uh, a card like Warn Shield is kind of a cool thing to throw on a twist guy to get lots of extra um, activations if you have something that can abuse it. Yeah, it's exactly. just that, that's like something I hadn't thought about until you mentioned that. But like, it does seem like something like Warn Shield might finally be playable. <laughs> yeah, as crazy it is. That's, that's, I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's crazy, and um, like I saw some silly combos today on some streams where 
somebody had a scarecrow which at the beginning of your turn you can switch the toughness and power of a unit and so the previous turn you twisted your guy until he was at one toughness then you switched it around and then you twisted him again until he was down to one toughness and you could just keep doing this combo and like pinging your opponent to death basically wow that's crazy Um, so it's uh I think there's a lot of room for some very cool and powerful things with Twist. Um, and I don't think it's probably that hard to even, you know, make this happen. And I think it, I, I'm not sure if it's in all the different colors, but I know it's in enough that it's probably going to be a pretty pervasive thing. Another really good card that's in the draft packs with twist is stalwart stalwart shield Shield. yeah so that's still in the curated packs and so that's another great um like twist enabler for for some of these decks so yeah there's also the bronze corsair oh really the draw card yeah that hasn't seen play so that that could be an interesting like twist enabler too yeah draw yeah draw card give your unit four toughness yeah i'm really excited about twist i think I think this is a mechanic, uh, besides for its name, that really shows that um, just how smart Direwolf is about making mechanics and cards for this game. Because, you know, twists really are just like activated abilities, but they figured out a way to use the digital space to make them more limited so you don't have unlimited activations. You know, sort of like Bizarre Trickster. Like, Bizarre Trickster would have been, like, such a fairer card if it was, you know, a twist as compared to pay for to silence a unit in perpetuity. And yeah. I think I think this allows them to, to make cards like Bizarre Trickster, but make them fairer and therefore being able to make them uncommon and common. And so it adds a lot to the complexity of the game. There's a lot of... It allows you to put cool effects on the card, but not make them too broken and give players more choices. So I think it's going to be a really fun sort of skill testing. Yeah, they do seem, they seem well balanced right now. Like, like most of the twist effects aren't super powerful. So it's not highly abusable anyway, but just the, the ability to have a flexible unit that can change shape based on what you need it to do. That's why the test pilot was a cool card for Gaunon to bring up. Cause yeah, I think that it's, it looks like being able to play it as a 1-4 flyer on so many boards is perfect and you don't want to change a thing. But if it's not what you want and you want to increase your clock, you have the ability to. And it's also racing. I mean, it's gaining an armor every time you twist it as well. So, yeah, cards like that are cool. And I, I played against a guy playing Corrupted Behemoth, which is a common... If you don't know about it, you should because you're going to see a lot of it. It's a 5-drop time dinosaur, I think, that's a Four six, four six, yeah. Four six overwhelm for five, which is amazing, and twists to and you gain a life. Two life, I think. Two you gain two life, yes. You gain two life when you twist it. And I had an opponent play that against me, and I was just on Huru Flyers, and I, it was serious grind because their their clock just went up a ton and they're gaining life. I mean that card is gonna be potentially one of those format defining it's like the new infused guardian like the big common time fatty that everybody's Mm -hmm. gonna be fighting over so 
I feel like picking that card early isn't going to be a good strategy. Yeah, so let's move on to the next mechanic that they've introduced in Shift. And this is the one that's like probably the most fascinating and the hardest to actually figure out. And I think it will it's going to take a long time to figure out because you you pay in a, a shift cost instead of the regular casting cost and your unit is put into play but it's not in play so to speak. It can be targeted by single target spells. It can still die to things like harsh rule, which is odd but um and then every turn after three turns you keep removing like a counter basically until it comes into play or it shifts into play you so to speak because it's already kind of been there in play and emerges i think is their turn it it emerges that's right and it gets unblockable um so it gives a way to get in extra damage with unblockable which is always useful in sealed and draft where there's lots of board stalls um but a lot of these cards, you're going to be playing this game in your mind where you're like, is, am I going to get more value shifting this right now? Um, or should I hold off and play it for its hard co- co- casting cost? Um, yeah, there and there's a few cards. There's like a three drop. There's like a two, three endurance for three that costs like two, two or three. Shift. Two, two to shift. So like, I feel like the large majority of games you're gonna want to just play it on three <laughs> just because it, it also scouts when it enters play um so i that's the type of card where it's like if you really really want to get in the extra two damage unblockable i guess you shift it i think a lot of the decision with shifting or not is also just going to be what's my curve in my hand look like at this moment like yeah. if i can shift on one even though this is a two or a three drop, is it better for me to play this card now and have the potential to play other cards in the future? Or um, I think that's what's really interesting about Shift. Um, I put some example cards in here, and and there's kind of different flavors of Shift too, because sometimes uh, with Shift you're getting it's like to play your more expensive cards earlier in your curve. One that I put on here was Tremor Shocker, which is six time time. It's a six, six. I think it's a worm or something like that. And you can shift it for four. So you're playing it on turn four, but this guarantees you get on turn seven, whereas maybe you don't necessarily curve out to six and, you know, just play it on turn six or something like that. So that's kind of one flavor of shift. And then, there's also like these situational effects. Um, the example I put on here was Avalanche Yeti, which is two primal, two two with a shift of six. So it's it's different because it has a more expensive shift, and uh, the shift is that you get to stun two enemy units when it comes or when it shifts, and then these units stay stunned until Avalanche Yeti emerges. So. It's more of a situational effect or a a different way to close out games. I know there's one unit that if you shift it, um, it destroys an enemy attachment, I believe. So just another like situational effect. So 
Um, I think some of it is going to come down to like curve consideration. Shift is a good way. Like if you're super aggressive to then close out games with this unblockable unit emerging. Um, and then some are just these like situational effects. So yeah, I think this one is very, very hard to evaluate. And I think it's going to make just interesting play decisions and make piloting that much more important because you know, if you shift when you should have just played your guy outright, it can really punish you because maybe your opponent just kills you while your guy's right. waiting. Yeah, if you're if you're needing the defense, like that's the six six or six you brought up. It's like if you're on the play or you're like in an aggressive position, you pretty much always want to shift this guy, right? Because he's hitting on the same turn essentially. You're mm-hmm. shifting on turn four, and it's hitting the seventh turn, I suppose. Yep. Um, which is the same as it would if you dropped it on six. But <laughs> if you're needing the six six blocker on turn six, you're not going to have it. So that's that is a consider. Like there are definitely going to be some interesting choice play choices. Huh, that's it. In- that's interesting because I actually would have taken it almost the other way. Is like if you're an aggressive deck, then do you really want to be shifting it on turn four, or do you want to be committing to the board oh yeah, that's, that's, that's true a good if point. you have yeah. two different plays yeah yeah that that is a good point if you if you're having to choose between shifting this guy and actually developing your board state that's it's going to be an, a definitely a much harder call yeah and that and it's weird you know because sh- i feel like shift is such a cool mechanic but i've been a little bit down on it and i'm not sure if i'm just not seeing it exactly yet because i feel like you know like with the expensive cards that you can play early you're like oh sweet for just like four power i can get this six six eventually but it you know it, it does make these like tricky decisions that you have to make and then with the situational effects too it just like this avalanche yeti is pretty good, but there's like a couple other ones where you pay more and you deal damage if you shift it. Mm-hmm. But like, if on turn six you're like sh- shifting it, that just means like on turn nine or ten you're getting a two two. Well, you did stun two units for that. I mean, and so hopefully you've won the game, I guess. But it, I don't know. You know, like I almost think like. A six primal two two that just stunned two units with a normal stun is doesn't that seem better than a two primal two two with shift six stun two units for three turn three turns and then get a two two unblockable on turn nine? I think what's what's interesting about it is that you have the flexibility to choose, you know? So if you do have this in your opening hand, are you really going to wait till 6 to play it for its shift? Or are you just going to play it as a 2-2 two, two on 2? Mm-hmm. Which I think, I, I think that's where the power of shift is, is like having these decisions and this flexibility in these cards. Because I agree, if you had a, a 6 cost... 4-4 four, four or something like that that just stunned two units when it came into play, That that's probably better than Avalanche Yeti. But the fact that you have these other decision points in your game where you can say, okay, I just need this 2-2 two, two now rather than waiting until 6 to try and use this as a finisher or something like that, I think is kind of the power of Shift. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's move on from Shift now to Onslaught. 
which is the other, I guess these are the three big mechanics that are being focused on. And Onslaught, I think, is quite good. Most of the most of the effects, it's a, it's a really easy thing to trigger. All you got to do is attack with a unit and you get the Onslaught effect. And I like comparing this to Tribute in the past. Tribute always felt horrible in a lot of ways. Like a lot of the Tribute cards, I wanted them to be good, but they really just were so situational. And I feel like Onslaught is far less situational than something like Tribute. Like you, like with Tribute, you would send in, you know, your one, two or something, like just needing it to die. <laughs> and your opponent would just go, nah, I won't block it. And you're just like, no, I guess I lose that effect. But with Onslaught, you send in. Though, of course, everybody's going to call your bluff and block your guy because, you know, it's it's a little different. But I think a lot of the Onslaught effects are going to be worth doing it. My my Huru Flyer deck that I just had had two of this Roosting Warhawk that you guys had on here that is the 3-2 Flyer for 5 with just one Justice and Onslaughts for plus 1, plus 1. And... It feels like it just slots perfectly into just a fly, a bunch of flyers, <laughs> basically. So it was like the perfect top end for the deck I was building. Um, and I like that this guy's solid but not broken at the common slot. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what you guys think. I Well, I think one thing that's really interesting is how shift and onslaught work together too like if you're holding an onslaught guy you're not going to want to be shifting your guys like you want to have somebody out there that can actually attack so you can get these onslaught bonuses but um yeah i think generally like you can value a smaller flyer now just because if your opponent doesn't have a flyer then you have a free onslaught trigger or something like that or you know a deadly guy that you can just freely attack in with that your opponents aren't wanting to trade with or if you just have a dork that you want to trade like you know it it's it's the better half of tribute basically like it's tribute without that conditional piece of your unit dying so um i'm act now that you brought up tribute i'm kind of interested in like is there some like huru onslaught tribute deck and constructed that could be sweet together but uh... <laughs> it's it's a little it's really cool to to see how some of these effects like whether or not it's going to be worth it to run something like like i know they printed a one three for one injustice and that's yes. the type that's the type of card that looks just like you're kind of confused by it at first, but after seeing all of the onslaught cards and like onslaught two and three drops and stuff, that guy could be really like actually doing a lot of work for you. Like similar to, I mean, if you're getting a bunch of onslaught triggers, uh, similar to like an Oni Ronin giving your guys war cry triggers essentially. So I feel like there, there are going to be certain key little like ways of thinking for us moving forward with this, new set that are going to be very interesting and like just even you bringing up the fact that shift and onslaught together seems like kind of a combo is really cool well that's it for the the discussion of mechanics in the new set all right so next we'll just let's just go through and talk about a card or two that we're excited about 
So one card I'm super excited about is Retribution. So when I first read this card, it it didn't look like much because it's basically, I think it's just like Rebuke. I think you silence the unit and then stun it. If you Onslaught, then you also kill the unit. So this is basically like, a, and this is a three justice card. So three justice silence and stun a unit and if you attacked this turn then you also kill that unit so it's interesting because it is it's not a fast spell so you can't use this mid combat or anything like that but uh it is a good way to get rid of like if you just if your opponent has a big unit that you can't deal with or something that like you just have to answer like you can throw away one of your units by attacking in activating the onslaught and getting rid of you know their win condition basically so i think this card is super strong it's kind of like slay um but it's single influence so i think this card is going to have a pretty lasting impression on the draft format yeah I think that's a solid prediction. <laughs> this is going to be a critical card in the in the set. There's not a lot of great removal across the board. There's some good burn here and there, but yeah, this card looks awesome. Yeah, I'm still not not convinced about this card necessarily just hearing it cuz it it does feel like you're kind of saying like you you are sort of forced to two for one yourself. So I think part of it will be like how many disposable guys exist in the format. But yeah, I mean it's without onslaught, it still silences and stuns a unit. Yeah. Which is pretty strong. Yeah, which is good. It's good they have a backup plan. So maybe uh, maybe it's higher than I it's better than I think it is. But this I think at the start this is not a card I'm gonna wait until I lose to this a few times before before I start drafting it. But you got lots of cheap flyers, I will say that much, mm-hmm. to, to go with this card. There's like a bunch mm-hmm. of Val- Valkyrie flyers and stuff everywhere. That's, that's true. I'm not thinking about the sort of the evasive creatures just yet. So that'll be that'll also be interesting to see. And it's Injustice where you're going to have more of those creatures. So yeah. maybe, maybe it's better than I'm giving it credit for right now. I think the other thing about it is... If you're ahead, you're just attacking in, they're not blocking, and then you're just removing their potential chump blockers for down the line or something like that, too. So, um, and shift also, you know, once again, shift coming into play. You've got an unblockable guy. You don't necessarily need to throw away one of your units. You attack in with your unblockable guy and then get rid of their uh, guy, too. So I think, yeah, I think this card's going to be super strong. So, Ruben. Man, there there were so many interesting cards, even in the limited games that I've played. Uh, one that I I drafted in this most previous pre- uh, in this most current and recent draft is a it's a one three in time that gives you plus one maximum power, mm. and you can also shift it for some cost. Um, I feel yeah, like two. Yeah, that it's it's odd that it or it no, is shift. it one? It's oh man, I it's either one or two. I'm let me look, I'll look it up real quick. I've got the client open, so yeah, 
for me, this card I'm, is not one of the cards I'm going to predict is like format defining. I'm more just curious as to how this card is going to be used by people. If it's if there is going to be a, like some ramping <laughs> happening, or is this pretty much it for for a lot of ramp in the game? Because it feels like a, a one three for two, and a lot of draft formats is pretty decent and usually can hold the ground for quite a few turns against a lot of decks and also having being able to ramp you into more powerful effects it seems like it's going to be one of those like you don't pick it too early but you also are happy to get as many as you can in a lot of time decks yeah devotee of the sands is the name of it yeah there it is plus one maximum power uh, two and one time influence and you can shift it for two so you have that interesting shift decision right from the start do you want to protect that maximum power because even while this unit is shifted you're still getting that maximum power benefit um, so yeah this is interesting I, I don't think it's going to be like I said format defining or anything but it is just a kind of a, a cool filler common for a lot of these time decks uh, right. what what do you think, Patrick? Have you had enough time to form an opinion on, <laughs> on any of the cards? Yeah, uh, the card I wanted to talk about was uh, Inpatient Pyromage, which is a two-fire, two-two, um, uncommon mage with onslaught, draw a card, and reduce its cost by one this turn. At the end of your turn, discard it. This is like a everything I would <laughs> I want a card to do. Um, it's it's a two drop, which is great, especially in fire. And it's a two drop, two two with possibly great upside. I think, um, you know, for everyone who plays um, constructed, and I'm not saying this is anywhere near that, but everyone knows how strong Heart of the Vault is. And, you know, ripping a card, you know, drawing a card with Heart of the Vault, having its cost reduced by two, and having all of a sudden. You know, when you didn't have a card to play, have a card you could now play, even though you're low on power. And, you know, this is does sort of an impression of that, where you're, you're drawing a card, reducing its cost by one. And, you know, if it's a power, I think you're able to play it. So if you haven't played your power for the turn, you know, you onslaught this, you get a t- your power off the top of your deck, you get to play it, still have the power in your hand. I think it's a very flexible card and this ability i think is sort of deceptively powerful it's yeah it's it's unlikely to be super useful if played on just turn two but played on later turns it's great it's it's very likely that you're going to be able to draw and play something off of it yeah and it's going to help you double spell and i think that's just such a powerful effect yeah, I mean, it's pretty uncommon for a two-drop to be a relevant top deck late into the game. But, you know, say you're in a situation where you're just pinging away with a flyer, you top deck this, you attack in with the flyer, you play this, then you get another card off the top of your deck. Seems great. So Cool. So I think that's all the cards we're going to discuss. Um, you know, we'll be back next week, and we'll all have a lot more experience with the format and... And be ready to talk a lot more. And hopefully we'll have gotten a ton of deck lists. I think everyone's really excited for 
you know, for the new set and the totally new draft format. So I'm really excited to see what people are sending in. We actually already had um, a couple users send in deck lists today. I'd like to shout out Lucas and Captain Cookie and Cream for already sending us uh, Dark Frontier deck lists mere hours after the format started. So I think that's the end of our show here. So once again, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and thumbs up all of Barefoot Farmer's Reddit posts. And then also post any feedback or uh, any points in the podcast you disagree with. We would love to you know, talk more about it, and I think Reddit is a great forum to do that. And then a reminder to please send all your seven-win deck lists you guys and gals are able to do to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And I'd like to thank our guest, Gao Nan. So, Gao Nan, where can people find you when you're not uh, guesting on the Farming Eternal podcast? Uh, the best place to find me at this point is on YouTube. It's just Gao Nan. I do draft-focused content on there. And actually, I'm going to be having... Ruben on later this month where we're going to do a co-draft together so I'm excited to have him on the drafting with masters show so I'm excited to have him there and people can also find me on Twitter I always include my discord and gmail information in my videos as well if people want to talk draft so yeah strongly recommend all of his videos they're great I liked watching them a lot they helped me get wrap my head around a lot of the recent formats too yeah, and it's great to have uh, content out there that's not just Twitch for people who can't who can't watch things live and need more sort of on-demand video content. All right, and remember to keep on farming. You didn't see the parentheses I had up here, did you? Sure. Oh <laughs> God, you're right. Yeah, I know. I know. I forgot. We got a lot to get through. Um. Yeah, I also kind of have an interesting. I know you want me to keep these short. No, no, this I, one. This, this is the only. Well, the first one was the only one that said short. Yeah, I, I had a thought recently while I was um, doing some weeding. 